Acts chapter 1, verse number 1. We're going to read through verse 8. The Bible reads like this. Acts was written, by the way, by Luke, the physician. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, uh, he asked them, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put into his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. One more passage. Acts chapter 2, next chapter, verse number 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one began to sit upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Lord God, your presence is already felt and known in this place. Your word is already anointed. I ask you to anoint your servant today. Help me not to say anything that does not give you glory or to misspeak anything today, but let it be clarity. But Holy Spirit, we trust you for the translation into people's ears and hearts. Give them exactly what they need today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. And as I said, doesn't it feel good to have gone to church this morning? Hallelujah. I'm telling you, you just can't feel this at home. Amen. I'm thankful for the internet, for those of you watching, but... It really is time if you're able to get back to church. You, you just cannot feel this at home like you feel in the present. Amen? It's really good. I'm glad we have these things, but it's so important, especially in these last days. The book of Hebrews says not to neglect the assembling of yourselves together, even as the manner of some, especially as we see the day of the Lord approaching. But it's exciting to be in God's house this morning. I've already told you good morning. I'm excited you're here, and I've been excited about our series that we've been doing over the last several weeks, which we're finishing up today, entitled The Cross of Christ. We've been on a journey looking at the events leading up to the cross, the Garden of Gethsemane, the trial of Jesus before Pilate, last week the historic moment of the resurrection of Christ. And my goodness, what a journey it's been. It's been an amazing time to see how our Christ has found himself crucified, resurrected, and victorious over death, hell, and the grave. It's amazing. Uh, um, so this morning, I want to continue down the road of this path, and I want to ask the question, now what? Now what? What do we do after the resurrection. What do we do after Jesus had been resurrected? I think it's a question that's worth answering. For many people, uh, Easter Sunday is, is, a, is a religious day to check off of their calendar, to come to church, and that's fun. I want to tell you, though, and I don't mean this with shame, but an empty tomb validates the resurrection, but an empty church denies it. Come on, somebody. 
And the resurrection power of Christ is not something we live in one Sunday a year, but it's in Him we live, in Him we move, and in Him we have our being. You and I are called to live in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. And so we got to ask ourselves the question, now what? Surely, surely, surely the events of Calvary were interesting. Can you imagine being alive in the days of Jesus and the disciples? Witnessing the, the crucifixion, being in the crowd, hearing the screams, hearing the cries, hearing the jeers of crucify him. Seeing the sadness upon Peter's face as he lurked in the shadows. Seeing Mary stood afar off as John embraced his new mother. Can you imagine what it would have been like on those days? Those three days. We talked about Black Friday, Silent Saturday, and then as us in the church have referred to it, Shouting Sunday. Because the resurrection tomb was empty and Mary was told to go tell the disciples, He is not here. He is risen, even just as He said. Oh, it's a blessed time for you and I to be able to celebrate the resurrection life of Christ on the inside of us. But can you imagine what it would be like to live in that day? I think it would be awesome. But I want to tell you something, that, that something happened at the resurrection of Christ that a lot of people skip over and miss. The scripture actually says that when Jesus was resurrected, the graves of many were opened. And they walked the street of Jerusalem. Can you imagine that the power that raised Jesus from the dead bust open some graves of some people, some Old Testament saints, and they walked around for a little while. Can you imagine that's crazy? That's exactly what Luke is telling us in Acts chapter 1. He says how Jesus showed himself alive for 40 days with many infallible proofs. Can imagine being in that day. Josephus, which was not a Christian, he was a Jewish historian, he writes about Jesus being resurrected and eyewitness accounts of him being seen after the resurrection. It is amazing. But the question is, now what? So what? Jesus is alive. P uh, Peter has saw him. Disciples have heard about them. Thomas has seen the nail-pierced hands. But what is next in the process? Those of you who are in this room today, you understand that Jesus was a fulfillment of all seven of the Jewish feasts. Uh, we see the crucifixion and resurrection as Passover and unleavened bread. And the next thing in God's prophetic calendar is Pentecost, the feast of the harvest. So Jesus shows back up. He says, touch me not. I've not yet ascended to my Father. What he meant was, don't hold on to me. I still have to go. But he told the disciples, he said, let me tell you something. Although I was, I was crucified and although I was resurrected, he said, I have to go back to the right hand of my Father. He said, but I want to give you this. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come back to you. The disciples didn't understand it. They didn't like it too much. And in fact, Acts chapter 1 tells us some details of what had gone through. But Jesus showed himself alive and there were 500 people. Now, how many of you believe Jesus was an influential preacher? What I'm about to tell you helps my soul every day of my life. Jesus showed himself alive to those who watched him be crucified. They saw the blood. They saw the tomb. They saw the soldiers at the entrance. They saw all of that. And guess what, my friend? Jesus saw, showed them all of that, and yet many of them, they still didn't believe him. And then as he showed himself alive, there was a group of people 
500. Somebody say 500. Five with a couple of zeros. 500 people Jesus saw. And he told them. He told them, Jacob, he said, I want you to go and tarry with me to the city of Jerusalem. And he said, I want you to go there because the Feast of Pentecost is coming up. And I want you to go and tarry for the promise of the Holy Spirit. You see, John was the forerunner, right? John was the forerunner of Christ. He was Jesus' cousin. Mary uh, was impregnated, and, and she had John on the inside of her, and the Holy Spirit confirmed John's destiny. He was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. As the baby leapt, John came out, and he was talking about Jesus, and he was preparing the way. But John's ministry was great. John had an amazing ministry. But even John said this in Luke 3, 16. He said, there's one coming after me. I know I've been baptizing you in the banks of the muddy Jordan River. I know that I've been telling you to repent of your sin. I know that I've been telling you that Jesus is coming. But he said, I've got to not leave you without telling you this. Luke 3, 16 says, there is one who is coming after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to tie down and, and latch his sandal, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what, that's what John told the people. And then Jesus told his disciples as he was getting ready to tell this 500, he said, I want you to go and I want you to tarry in the city of Jerusalem because a feast is coming. People are coming. What was Pentecost? Pente means 50. It, it literally just means 50. Pentecost, 50 days, 50 festivals. There were 40 days Jesus showed himself alive. 10 days the disciples went to pray. 10 days. Everybody say 10 days. It's interesting to me, you can read Peter's message that he preached on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. And if you read it slow in its entirety, it takes you about 10 minutes. They prayed for 10 days so Peter could preach 10 minutes. Today we pray for 10 minutes and preach for 10 days. But Peter was impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way because these men and women found themselves in an upper room in Jerusalem waiting for the promise of the Father. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait. Patience is not my middle name. Some of you grew up with the outhouses outside. You had to go fetch the pails of water. Uh, the, every meal was a home-cooked meal. I live in the drive through generation. And some of you who lived in that generation have gotten very accustomed to the drive through generation. And now we like to drive through and we like to get our food quick. We don't like to wait. But these disciples were there for 10 solid days. Now, how many people did Jesus invite? 500. Come on, it's okay to talk to me. How many people? 500. Let me tell you how many people showed up. 120. 380 people denied the Lord's request to come and tarry for a little while. 380. Do you know Jesus, though he was an influential preacher, he was a splitter of crowds? When he multiplied the fish and the loaf, everybody was following him because they were hungry. They wanted, they wanted the fish. They wanted the bread. And Jesus turned around and said, y'all just follow me because what I give you. And guess what happened? The Bible says they split off and they left. 
Wasn't a good growth strategy. But Jesus told these 500, he said, I want you to go and tarry in Jerusalem. And 120 people showed up. Among those were his disciples and notably his mother, Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. I tell all of my Catholic friends, if you really want to follow in the footsteps, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. They sat there. They waited and they prayed. They waited and they prayed. They waited and they prayed. And here's what Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says. Are you ready for this? When the day of Pentecost had fully come. See, the, the, the Jewish feasts are known as Moedim. They are set appointed times on God's calendar. And there were three different times during the year specifically of those feasts that God required every Jewish man to come and stand before his presence. And in this moment, everybody was coming to Jerusalem. They were coming there, devout people. It was a divine setup. God was setting the world up for the next now what in Christian history. Because what was happening beneath uh, 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 everything on the surface is that these disciples were in an upper room praying. Down beneath them, people were transacting. They were rejoicing. They were celebrating what God had done through the harvest. Yet, while the meantime, in the upstairs, they were praying and seeking God. And there came a moment on God's calendar where the day of Pentecost had fully come. And they were all in one accord. That's not talking about a Honda. They were in one accord. And they were in one place. They were in unity. And there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. How many of you have ever lived through a tornado before? Raise your hand. How many of you know there's a calm before the storm? And then how many of you know they say that sometimes a tornado, especially a big one, it sounds like a train roaring? A hurricane blowing. I can only imagine what the sound in the upper room sounded like when the disciples were sitting there and there came a sound from heaven like of a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and they sat upon each of them and they were all 120 Men and women filled with the Holy Spirit. You can only imagine what it was like there on that day. It was at that moment that the power of God rested upon them. And it was only at that moment where the Holy Spirit's power enabled them to take what they had been entrusted, which was the message of the gospel of Christ. It was only then where the Holy Spirit's power enabled them to take that outside of the walled streets of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, and around to the uttermost parts of the world. It was the endowment of power with the Holy Spirit. But I want to take my thoughts today from a couple of places because I think it's vitally important we got to ask ourselves the question Christ has resurrected now what now what I want you to look back with me at Acts chapter 1 I'm ready to go and let's go here together 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. And he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So also he had presented himself alive after the suffering of many infallible proofs, being seen by them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, notice this, he commanded them. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a suggestion. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now look at verse 6. Here's where I want you to go with me this morning. Verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I want you to... Pay attention for just a few moments. We're asking ourselves the question this morning, what next? So what? Christ is risen. So what? He's resurrected. Now what? Here's the first thing I want to share with you. Number one, we must fix our focus. We must fix our focus. I think this truth was applicable to the early apostles and disciples, and I think it's even more politically applicable to our lives today. Hallelujah. Are y'all ready for this? The disciples, though they walked with Christ and though they saw firsthand the resurrected Christ, though they witnessed the miracles, though they witnessed all of those things, there was some type of allegiance that the apostles dealt with because you have to understand there was the conflict of kingdoms in the early church. Jesus constantly said, my kingdom is not of this world. His disciples would rise up and say, Lord, strike down Rome, tear it down, rebuild it. And Jesus would say, my kingdom is not of this world. They would question Jesus' credentials. Well, you say you're a king. How are you a king? And Jesus would say, I do not give myself my own honor. My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus was constantly fighting against this natural kingdom. And unfortunately, his disciples were impacted by this natural kingdom. You know, it's interesting because you and I live in a world where we have dual citizenship. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and yet we're also citizens of the U.S. of A. So the disciples had dual citizenship, and yet we have dual citizenship. And I find that our response in 2022 is a lot like the response of the disciples. The disciples said, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? They had their focus on the wrong fix. I'm going to preach it whether you say amen or not. Their focus was on the wrong fix. I got news for some folks in this room this morning. I'm about to hurt your feelings. I'm going to bust it wide open. Jesus is not a Democrat. He is not a Republican. He is not an Independent. He is by himself. And let me remind you of the words to Zerubbabel. It's not by might and it's not by power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
I'm thankful for righteous government. I'm thankful for people who stick up for righteousness. But at the end of the day, it's the Holy Ghost and Holy Ghost conviction and Holy Ghost revival that's going to fix our nation. Hallelujah. We will not get out of the fire until we get back under the fire. Come on, somebody. We will not get out of the fire until we get back under the fire that we're supposed to be under. Hallelujah. We got to fix our focus. We're worrying about if DeSantis is going to fix it. And this, if Bernie sure can't fix it. Come on, somebody. We're worried about who's going to fix it. I say Jesus fix it. Jesus fix it. Listen, if you can't fix it, you're going to burn it down anyway. But Jesus fixed it. We got to fix our focus. You and I are not in a battle just in the natural. We are in a spiritual battle. And Jesus, uh, you know, the, the, the angel's talking to them. And Jesus is talking to them. Acts chapter 1 is a beautiful chapter. But I love this. Lord, are you at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they're asking the wrong question. Everybody say it's the wrong question. It is absolutely the wrong question. We got to be more concerned about the spiritual kingdom than we are this natural kingdom. Surely the Messiah would set up his physical kingdom. He's going to do that. The Bible says he's going to do that. But yet their eyes were fixed on a political answer. And what was the response? Look at Acts 7, chapter 1, verse 7. It is not for you to know the times nor the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Verse 8, but you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The question is, my friend, what's next? First of all, we must fix our focus, but number two, we've got to receive his power. I want you to notice Jesus told the disciples, he commanded them to go to Jerusalem. He commanded them to wait there until they receive power from on high. You see, uh, in the kingdom of God, you've got different levels of different things. And in Acts chapter 6, the church had grown so strong that the apostles' ministry could not be done solely by the apostles because they were having to stop teaching and stop preaching and stop ministering. And they had to go back and wait tables and help all of the other things. And so the Bible said it's not good for you, the apostles, to wait tables. Go appoint you seven men filled of the Holy Spirit and power and appoint them to wait tables. Even a table waiter in the Bible needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, let me tell you something. You need to receive God's power. You need not wait another day. You need not wait another moment. You don't have to wait to a special meeting. Today is a good day to receive the Lord's power. Say amen, somebody. Listen, we can't fix the world's problems without the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you, the Messiah was birthed through travail through the womb of a Virgin Mary. And the church was birthed through a travailing people as they were outpoured upon by the Holy Spirit. You and I have to receive His power. Uh, I don't know who I 
who I need to talk to this morning, but I'm telling you, I've never forgot the experience that I received as a young man when I was baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's still real today. The reason why some of y'all are like you are is it's been too long since you've received any fresh fire. You've sat too long in the presence of God. You become stale. You become bitter. You become critical. I am begging of you by the Spirit of an Almighty God today to receive tongues from the fire of God's altar today and receive a fresh anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's imperative of you. God cannot do what he wants to do in the generations if the generations are not sinking together. And one of the ways the generations are sinking together is the old are supposed to be teaching the younger and the younger is supposed to be receiving from the older. But hallelujah, we've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit is vitally important in this day. Give me get an amen, somebody. What the world doesn't need is more smoke and lights. It needs a church that is built on the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody in this place today remember where you were when you received the fire of the Holy Spirit? Do you remember that altar? Do you remember that church camp? Do you remember that bedside? Do you remember driving down the road in your car and you lost that English and started speaking in that heavenly language? Does anybody remember the day the fire fire fell on your life. Friends, if you don't remember today's your day, you need the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's so important to receive His power. Hallelujah. Let me ask you a question, my friend. If you were enlisted in the U.S. Army and you were sent out to fight the front lines of of an Iranian battle and the Commanding officer said, you better not go out into gear without this piece of equipment. It'll save your life. I don't imagine many of us would tell the commanding officer, you know, no, thank you. I don't think I want that. But how many people treat the glorious baptism of the Holy Spirit like it's the third row option in a truck you're about to buy? How many treat it like it's some optional piece of thing that that maybe if we need it, I'm telling you this morning, you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It'll change you. It'll make you bold. It'll make you fiery. It'll make you, come on, stand up against the devil. That's what you need in your life. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Hallelujah. When I was growing up, it was just understood that you got saved, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't a one and done. Stamp it on the, on the wall like a diploma or degree and you're good. I did that. I done that. I did that, preacher. I, I did that. I had that experience. No, 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 no. Your frown tells me different. In His presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand is pleasure forevermore. I did that. Pre- nope, your soul winning record has told me different. Come on, somebody. It's tight, but it's right. But I'm telling you, I got some fire on me today, and that's okay. Because listen, when I stand before the throne of God, I am not going to stand saying I entertained the goats, but I have shepherded the sheep. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. We have to have the fire of God upon our lives. I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. 
If I can't have the fire of God, I'd rather die. No point in living if this fire isn't touching my life. <sighs> Hallelujah. Glory be unto God. If you've forgotten, my friend, we can point you in the right direction. <sighs> Number three. What must we do? We must tell his story. That's the whole purpose of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, some of y'all think the reason you, the, the whole reason of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, well, so I can speak in tongues. No, that's just a benefit. I'm going to tell you, bold as I could ever told anybody, it does you no good to speak in tongues if you don't tell people about Jesus in English or Spanish. It's pointless. At least sign to them or something. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witness. A witness is an evidence producer. You are standing in front of the judge saying, I am testifying under oath of what I have seen and what I have heard. And here's the proof. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Guess what? And you will be my witness. In this way, we witness the resurrection of Christ and the power of his resurrection. Folks, the bottom line is this, this morning. You're not a Pentecostal because you go to a Pentecostal church. You're Pentecostal because you've had a Pentecostal experience. Come on, somebody. And I'm here to tell you, it's real. It is so real. It is, it, listen, I, I've heard it said like this. Salvation is the best gift that God could ever give a sinner. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the best gift he ever could give the church. And I tell you, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Hallelujah. It's a shame that so many churches today have shied away from this. Because I'm telling you, I always, I always taught when I was a young man, Southern etiquette, if you take a young lady to a, the prom or the school dance, you dance with the one who brought you. And he's brought me too far to leave, for me to leave him now. Hallelujah. What started in the spirit, you can't finish in the flesh. We've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to tell the world about Christ. It was this baptism that allowed the Holy Spirit to rest upon those disciples, dispersing them into the difficult places of the world so that they could build God's kingdom. Let me tell you, you think you have it hard at work because somebody talked about you or somebody said something ugly about Jesus. But I want to remind you that 11 of the, these 12 apostles who received this Holy Ghost power gave their lives for this. What enabled them to do that? What enabled them to have the boldness on their life? They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, it's so important. Hallelujah. I'm about to finish up. I want to tell you a story as I do. It's the most important part of today. Don't, don't leave. I want to share with you 
a couple of things. Because this morning, on a Sunday morning, I'm going to invite people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Powerful. Powerful. But I want to share with you a story. See, I was raised to church my whole life. Whole life. I went to church nine months before I was born. Not even lying. Not even lying. Cut my teeth on the back of a church pew with the skinny boned finger of a grandmother thumping the back of my ear when I got in trouble or talked in church. Some of the ways some of these kids run around church today, you need my grandma's anointing to come on somebody and pop you on your ear real quick. But they raised me in the right environment. I was raised around it. I grew up around it. I was in church my whole life. Kindergartens, vacation Bible school. But just because I was raised in it didn't mean I was saved. That's not how salvation is. not like osmosis. You don't get it just because you're connected to somebody. only person you get it connected to is Jesus. You don't get it from grandma. It's not like hereditary things that are passed down. And, and one summer I had a pastor that took me to a, a kid's camp. The last summer I was able to go, and I remember really giving my life to Christ. Really. I mean, really just giving my life to Christ. Man, I was saved. I knew I was saved had a zeal in my heart to serve God and to love God and it was after that about 13 years old I had a school teacher she was a single lady our church had an extension Bible college and this was back in the mid 90s it's probably be pretty illegal to do today but she loaded us kids up in her van and took us to church with her on Wednesday night we had a radical youth pastor. His name was Randy Goodo. He was a wild, wild youth pastor. He, we were a town of probably 12,000. We had almost 200 kids in our youth group. He would find out where the teenagers were on the weekend, hanging out in the parking lot, smoking, drinking, whatever they did. And he had let down the tailgate of his truck and give away free stuff and preach the gospel. People got saved and come to the high school, stand up on the lunch table and preach the gospel. It was awesome. I remember going to a youth service that night. There were 150 kids or so Wednesday night. It was then in the upper, our, our family life center had a bottom and it had a top. The, the youth were up in the top. They had these blue chairs and this ugly carpet. I, I remember ugly carpet really well. It was an ugly shag carpet. And I remember him preaching a message on the fire of the Holy Spirit. You see, you think young people don't get stuff, they get it. He said, how many people want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit? Man, I bolted out of there. I threw my chair across the room. Volunteers were stacking them up, putting them against the wall. I was up there. I mean, I remember exactly where I was. I was on the left side of the platform, stage right, and they were praying for people, and they were falling under the power of God, speaking in tongues. It was, it was amazing. Man, notice, this didn't freak me out. I was raised around this, but I just never received it, never experienced it. When he laid hands on me, I felt, I felt genuinely, I felt something. It was like the electricity of God. I don't know how to explain it. I felt, I felt power. But, you know, I was so enamored about what everybody else was doing. I didn't, I didn't speak in tongues or anything. I, I didn't say anything. I just kind of looked. 
And I know what the Bible says. The Bible says tongues is the initial normative evidence. You don't believe me? Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe. They shall speak with tongues. That's Jesus. Mark 16, 16. Acts 2, 4, they spoke in tongues. Acts, Acts 4, they spoke in tongues. Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. This ain't just a one-verse thing. This is a Bible doctrine. It runs through the Bible. It is a normative thing. It's just normative. And so I, I left there. I don't want to say I was discouraged, but I knew that I didn't receive what I had come to receive. And the next day, I was getting ready for school on a Thursday morning. Remember, I'd gotten in the shower. I was getting ready to, to go. And I was crying out to God in that shower. I said, Lord, everybody else, all my friends, they got prayed for. They received. God, I'm just hungry for you. God, I just, I want more of you. God, I just, I just, I just, boom, it just happened like that. Honest to goodness. Now, I think God needed to do me that way. Because I'm a very analytical person. I have seen enough goofy stuff in the name of Jesus to write several volumes of several books. I've heard people saying, repeat after me. I've seen people push people in the floor. I've seen fake miracles. I've seen all kind of stuff that I'm ashamed to talk about. But at that moment, I can say it was just me and Jesus, and it was real. Because nobody was talking to me. Nobody was pushing me. Nobody was saying, say this, say that, spell this backwards, any kind of crazy stuff like that. No, it was the power of God just came down and just, boom, baptized me in the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't long after that. At 14 years old, I was called to preach. It, it impacts our life. You say, preacher, what's the big deal? I'm going to tell you right now. First of all, it's a gift. Everybody say, it's a gift. It's a gift. Acts 2, verse 38, 39 says that the, the gift is unto you, your children, and your children's children. The Holy Spirit is a gift. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us when we're saved. But after this salvation experience, it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's like, a, it's like walking into the water a little deeper. It's a free gift. You don't have to earn it. If you're saved, you're saved enough. But it's personal power for you to be a witness. That's what it's for. You say, well, pastor, do I, do I, do I, I, I see some of y'all forming the words on your mouth. Do, do I, do I have, do I have to speak in tongues though? You don't have to. You get to. You get to. Um, I got, my, my wife will tell you, I like tennis shoes like I like suit jackets. I got a closet full of them. Never once have I went to the shoe store and said, I like those shoes. Can I get them without the tongues? No. They just kind of are sewed into there. You know? It just like kind of comes with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that'd be kind of weird. Like, they don't fit. It doesn't work. The last thing I'll tell you this is a lot of people miss the experience because they're focusing on the wrong thing. I'm going to invite some people to come to the altar in just a minute. And I'm going to invite some prayer workers to come behind you and pray. Listen, if you've come up here for this for 10 times and you're discouraged, then bless God, let's do it 11 times. But here's what I want to tell you. The purpose for coming is not the tongues. The purpose for coming is simply saying, Lord, I want to receive all the power that you have for me. 
I want to be a better witness. I want to be bolder. Lord, anoint my mouth to speak your word boldly. And I believe you just come. Look, look it, 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 God could do you just like me. It doesn't phase me one bit. Here's what I know. The promise is good. It's a good gift. It comes down from above. God wants to give it to you. Luke tells us any good father knows how to give his children good gifts, and we're evil in nature. How much more will God give good gifts to his children that ask? That's what the scripture says. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come. This is not going to be a hard thing. It's not going to be a difficult thing. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you a couple of things quickly. I want you to stand, first of all, on your feet. I want to ask one question, first of all, because the most important thing is, are you saved? If you don't know Christ, this isn't for you. But I would be remiss today. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you a question. If you're in this place and you don't know Christ as your Savior,